Welcome to Oikos. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Please, as you hear the squeaky shoes and all that kind of stuff, we have a little condensation on the floor, so be careful. We, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper after this, which means some movement in this place. So just be aware, we almost had a little slippage right here, and I would really like to get out of here with no accidents. Everybody all right with that? Awesome. Also, just have a little understanding. We've got little ones. You probably saw like a hundred of them just leave. They really think this sound is cool. So have patience with them. Because if we do not hear sounds of children crying, making noise, and doing things that annoy you, we will not be a church that grows. Because it is with the children that they continue the faith generation after generation, after generation. Amen? Amen? Awesome. So we have a story this morning, and it's about two old people. Let's take a listen. So the story of Abraham and Sarah getting pregnant at an old age is a great story about new beginnings. I love this story because it tells us about three different things that the Lord does with us. First of all, he chooses the undeserving. 
Let's look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also old? Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. See, this wasn't the first time that Sarah or Sarai and Abram had messed up. If you look in the prior chapters, chapters of Genesis, Abram had already lied to another ruler about who Sarai was or who Sarah was. See, they had two different names. So if you hear me reference Sarai, it's, I'm really just saying Sarah. And when I reference Abram, I'm really just saying Abraham because they received Abraham and Sarah after they had children and it became the blessing that the Lord had set them out to be. So they had already messed up. Abram or Abraham had already lied to this ruler and said, Sarah, she's my sister because he was fearful that he would be in trouble. He's fearful for his own life. So he kind of just said, take her. And this ruler took her with all intentions to have marital relations or sex with her. But he didn't. There was a sparing of her. And then when he found out what had happened, he comes back and Abram had to confess and be like, well, I was scared. And so I threw my wife under the bus. They are messed up people. And you know what? Abraham and Sarah didn't have a perfect picture of marriage either. They argued. They fought. Because once Sarah was, or once she found out that she was going to be the starter of God's new nation, and he promised this to both Abraham and Sarah, and then time passed, well, Sarah got impatient. And Abraham obviously got impatient too. Because Sarah goes, here's Hagar. I guess she is pretty. Not sure with a name like Hagar. But she goes, here's Hagar. Take her. Have a little love. And have a new child. And that's how we will produce the promise that God has given us. Because they were unfaithful. See, God works through the undeserving. Because even though Abraham and Sarah continued to mess up, he was not unfaithful to them. He stayed true to his word that he would work through these messed up people, Abraham and Sarah, and through them, the world would be blessed. Through them, they would begin to see the image of God. And through them, Jesus Christ would eventually come into this world. You know, when I think about Abraham and Sarah, sometimes we put people in these stories on pedestals. 
And we think about Abraham being the righteous one. But the truth of the stories is that Abraham and Sarah were sinners like us. They went home after they worshipped and they fought sometimes. Abram wasn't always a great husband. Sarah wasn't always a great wife. Their family wasn't without arguments, and I bet their house was messy sometimes. I bet that Isaac, even though he is precious, disobeyed. And I bet if he was here today, he'd be squeaking on the floor. I can guarantee it. Because he was a kid. Because they're real people. This isn't, and this is one of the reasons why I believe that we have to go through these stories. Because our faith is weak. Because we hear these stories and we put them out as some fantasy kind of story that didn't really happen, but isn't that a nice story to tell? But I want us to connect that Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, were real people, and they didn't deserve for God to work through them. And yet, he did. In fact, sometimes when we become afraid, we lie to the Lord, and we lie to others. And that's exactly what Sarah did. In Genesis verse 15 of chapter 18, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Now, for those of you who are parents or those of you that have kids in your house at different times of the year, my kids do this all the time. You catch them. And you go, You just did this. Oh, no, I didn't do it. What are you talking about? I didn't have any candy. And you see the remnants of candy. Or you walk into the room and there's wrappers. In fact, just recently, I wasn't going to share any stories with my kids, but guess what? It just came in my head. Just recently, Sarah goes up into, and our three girls are all in one room. And there's a loft and then there's bunk beds. And they end up sleeping in one bed all the time anyways. But we went up and Sarah found a cup of food. And this is the worst part. An empty bottle of my soda. (laughs) That the kids have to have special permission to even have a sip. And the bottle wasn't full. It was empty. So Sarah goes, look what I found. And I was like, what? (laughs) I like this soda on Fridays, if we have family pizza night, to have my soda that has no caffeine, no artificial stuff, costs a whole bunch of money, but I love it, and I like to have it with my pizza. And it was one of the last bottles that she took. And she said, when I came out and said, did you drink a whole soda? First time in history, my kid didn't say, I didn't do it. It was Zach or it was Amaria. She went, yep. (laughs) 
and I did it because I knew you would say no. We have a tendency, except for rare occasions, to lie. And we don't just do it with the Lord. We do it with each other. We do it daily. How many times have you been asked, how are you doing? And you go, I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's going wrong. Or at least you feel like it is. I'm fine. Or someone that you really don't like comes up to you and you go, hi, how are you? Come on. We lie to each other because we are fearful of what would happen if we were actually honest. We're fearful. So yes, God does work through the undeserving. And all of us can step into the shoes of Abraham and Sarah and say, we too are undeserving. We do not deserve God to work through us. It is freaking amazing that he has accomplished anything through us because he's amazing not only does he work through the undeserving but he also works through the unlikely so if we were going to all of us if we were charged with starting a new nation we would choose the strongest, the brightest, right? The prettiest, the most handsome people to say, we want to start it with you. Because that's how we are. We try to be pious and say, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. But if you were forced to make a decision, who should this new nation look like? You would probably go, well, they better be kind of good looking they better not be stupid right they're not be lazy they better you know they better have some great qualities that we say are good hard-working all-american kind of qualities that's what we do because that's what we value so i just recently got on snapchat oh i know i'm a couple years late a decade. I didn't want to get on Snapchat, but my kids got on Snapchat. And then I saw that my older sister was on Snapchat. And I was like, I'm going to be on Snapchat. So I set up my Snapchat profile, which I was like, here's another profile. One more password, one more thing that I'm going to have to thankfully not remember because Apple does it for me. And then my kids go, well, you need another app. And I said, what for? Well, you have to get the Bitmoji app. And I said, well, what's that for? Well, you have to have an emoji that looks like you. So you've got to get the Bitmoji. So I was like, fine, I'll get the Bitmoji. So I got the Bitmoji app. Well, in this, you've got to choose your face shape, your eyes, your, your hair. <laughs> And I was going through, and I had helpers, my children, and I was kind of choosing the best shapes. And they're like, no, you don't look like that. 
because it's in my nature to want to choose what's what I perceive as better than what God has actually made me to be. And I was choosing things like hair, <laughs> square jaw, all these things that I was like, well, that's what I, I would look good that way. And helpfully is like, no, you really need that one with the, it's a shaved head with little hair because you don't have much hair, Dad. And you need some wrinkles here. See those wrinkles? And I was like, thank you so much. This is what we do is that we choose things that we think are a little bit better. And this is what we would do if we would start a new society. But see, as an unlikely person, God chose me. I wasn't valedictorian in my class. And my class only had 40 people. You're not looking at the brightest guy here. They didn't, you know, I couldn't even beat 40 people. I wasn't the best leader. I wanted to be an RA. I don't know if you guys know what an RA is, but if back in the college days, resident assistant, you had to look out for the dorm people. I wanted to be that. Well, I went in and interviewed, and they said, you're not really quite ready. And I was like, what? Then I went to seminary, and I thought, well, I've got everything handled, and they have to do all these evaluations, which I guess is good so you don't end up with a crazy pastor, even though many people end up with a crazy pastor. But they said, you're not assertive enough. You have to go do assertiveness training. I'm like, well, I'll show you assertive right now. I thought I was supposed to be nice. I wasn't, the, I wasn't chosen as the best looking. In fact, I had the, I told my kids just this last week, I had an awkward stage that started when I was in seventh grade and it didn't really end, and some of you keep your mouth shut, <laughs> until I was out of college. Thank God it ended before I met Sarah and she said, ooh, I like him. I said, the benefit of that, guess what the benefit was? My love life wasn't really existent, which meant I wasn't tempted to have sex before marriage. It was a benefit. It's not a sad Aaron story. There's some sadness in there. I was bullied, and there were some bad things that happened. But I see the protection of the Lord, even in the midst of many things occurring because I was kind of unlikely. I was unlikely. A country boy that was sent to Houston to start a church. Unlikely. But God chooses the unlikely. And God makes the impossible possible. Even when we are unfaithful. Even when we are unfaithful. I think sometimes our theology gets mixed up here. That, oh yeah, God will make the possible, the impossible possible. Must be a, an alert. (laughs) 
just waiting for everything to go off. So God will make the impossible possible if we do everything right. If we exhibit some great righteousness. Well, then he can step in. If I do my part, then God will do his part. And you'll lie to me if you say, I've never thought that. I mean, I shouldn't put that on you. I would lie if I said, I never thought that. Every time you kind of get into this little mode of, well, if I just do the right thing, then God will do that impossible thing. But see, God's plans aren't determined by our plans or our actions or even our faithfulness because he'll do the impossible even when we are unfaithful. Story after story in our family history in the Bible, we see him doing the impossible. We've already heard two stories. The creating of the world. For many of us, we hear that story and we go, impossible. We hear the story of the flood and we go, impossible. We hear the story of Jesus rising from the dead, and we go, well, I am in church, so I need to say that's possible. But that's really the most impossible. We just confess that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's really, should be, impossible. So when we go through these stories, and this is one of the reasons why I feel it is so important that we understand and learn the stories of God that they're not some little story that God wrote up so that we could feel good or that we could have stories and publishers can make multitudes of children's Bibles with these stories or so that we could put a little rainbow over our baby's crib or a little ark in there with animals. He made these stories because it's his story and they're possible. Because he's a God who makes the impossible possible. And if we don't believe that, then we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead because that's the most impossible thing to believe in. We don't believe in life eternal because that's impossible to believe in. We don't believe in life transformation because people, right, just quote, people don't change. But with God, people change. With God, the impossible becomes possible even if we're unfaithful. I have experienced three times. I've been given the blessing to experience God's power at work multiple times, but three times involved traumatic head injuries. Head injuries that the doctor said right away, they're not going to make it. And even if they do, I always love when doctors say that, not going to make it, but even if they do, just cover my bets. They won't be able to function like they did before. All three of those guys have normal function, can speak to you, you'd have no idea that anything happened. It involved prayer and believing in the impossible 
even though I know I was unfaithful. We have a great story here at this place where we prayed and said, Lord, we need a place that has no air conditioning or heat. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lord, we need a place and we need it to be free and he gave it to us free. Within weeks of that prayer, an impossible thing that God made possible. It's part of our story. And I'll tell you, when I tell other people our story, they go, that's impossible. And I go, no, it's very possible. <laughs> We're in it right now. We have no air conditioning. But it was free. It was. And it is. We get to gather here today as a family in this place. Because of God doing impossible things. I believe that as we continue to look at the story of God, it's, we continue to see stories where we go almost where we have to laugh because it seems so impossible what God is doing. And this happened to Sarah as well in chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. It's right after she has her baby, and everything's been made clear. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abram and Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I've given Abraham a son in his old age. We just cannot guess what God is going to do, who he's going to do it through, or how he's going to do it. Whenever you try to do that, you always end up looking a little stupid. Because his ways are not our ways. So we have to relent and turn it over to him. Knowing that we're undeserving. That we're unlikely. And sometimes it's just nice to sit back and see the impossible become possible. So the first thing that we do is we listen to him. We tune our ears into him. And the way we do this in our time is that we actually read his word. And I don't care if you do a yearly reading plan where you read through the whole Bible in one year or you do a plan where you read through it in two years or you do a plan where you read through it in ten years or you get a daily verse. I believe his word continues to work on our hearts. But we practice listening. It means that you listen to your friend who tells you God's word even when you want to punch them in the face because you don't want to hear it. I want you to pull back and wait and say, Lord, are you saying something to me? It's uncomfortable, but in this moment in time, are you making it uncomfortable so that I will recognize that you are working? We need to listen to him. And I have found when I become uncomfortable when someone is speaking God's word to me, are the times that I need to really listen. Because when I'm so comfortable, 
I become a little bit too self-righteous. A little too much like, oh, I already got that. My life is good. But when someone says, hey, the Lord says this, and I get uncomfortable and I start to wiggle a little in my seat, are the times that I need to listen even more. We need to fear not. God says this multiple times. He's going to put something in your lap where you're going to say, I don't believe it. Or I don't want to do it. Or I don't want to spend that much time with that person. Fear not. Because the Lord your God is with you and he's a good father who loves you and will not give you a stone when you ask for bread. He's in this life with you. And finally, he is prompting us to believe. Just believe. Believe that he is a God who will do things that you cannot think of first. That he is a God who will forgive someone you find unforgivable. A God who will love you when you're the biggest jerk. And you know it. Because life is crazy. And every day it gets a little bit more crazy, doesn't it? Every day we face things that become a little bit more chaotic. And we're not sure what to do with them. And God's word to us is not something that we should take lightly, but it is to believe that he is at work. And that he's inviting us to be in that work with him. Because Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, we get chosen to represent him. Just like Abraham was chosen to represent and bring a blessing to the world, Today, because of Jesus, we are, done, we are chosen to do the same thing. Because of Jesus, his blood covers up our mistakes. Yeah, we are not deserving to be a part of the representation of God. But because of Jesus, we are. Because of Jesus... His perfection dresses up our imperfection. Yeah, we're unlikely. None of us in here could, well, some of you may want to, but I would kind of push you down, say that we, we have made it. That we're the most righteous person in here. That God should choose us. No, we know. We're unlikely candidates. But he still says, you're mine. You're my candidate. You're my son or daughter. Because of Jesus, we have an invitation to serve those who are undeserving, to serve those who are unlikely, to serve those who have a hard time believing. And we simply say, thank you, God, that you have chosen me. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is asked to help a father 
whose boy is demon-possessed. I think it's a great story of how God chooses us even when we are unfaithful. That he doesn't leave us. And in this chapter, we're already confronted with some unbelief, right? Because we've already categorized this story in the, oh, isn't that nice? Listen to these words. Jesus is asked to help a father out whose boy is demon-possessed. Immediately, demon-possessed, we go, hmm, I don't want to think about that. Goes into the stories of, I don't really need to believe. Am I correct? Am I correct? Yes. We don't want to go there. We don't want to think that part of our representation is to face evil directly. We don't want to believe that Satan could have authority upon people. We want to live lives where everything's rosy and cheery. So great that I'm a Christian, right? But the reality is, is that we're facing war because God has called us into that war. And if we don't believe these stories, again, it comes right down to the foundation. How can you believe that what you're doing right now is worth anything? I mean, why the heck would you come on a Sunday morning to gather together to sing some songs? I mean, all that seems kind of crazy. Who does that? Christians, right? Sing some songs. We hear how awful we are. We ask for forgiveness, right? Then you hear someone who really shouldn't be speaking is speaking, but you tolerate it because you're good Christians. And then we eat Jesus. So I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe in that, it's kind of ridiculous that you're here. But something has compelled you to come. Maybe you don't believe completely. Well, you're in good company because the disciples didn't believe completely. Because they were brought this boy ahead of time and he didn't get healed. And Jesus is like, why did I choose you? No, he didn't say that. He goes, when will you believe? When will you believe that I am really the son of God? And I can do anything. And I've given you authority to do anything. So Jesus says, how long has this been happening? He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, 
I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, so why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would encourage us to believe. Help us to see that your word is not a culmination of stories that we don't believe in. But instead it is your story. It declares who you are. A God who is faithful even when we are unfaithful. A God who wants us to be his children. A God who is a loving father. A God who wants us to represent him. A God who wants to restore this world. A God who is patient enough to let chaos run its course if it means time enough for one more person to believe in him. Lord, help us to step into the chaos of the lives of the people you have put into our life. To not be pushed around by the craziness, but to stand firm on the faith that you are with us. To stand firm that it's not because we become better that you choose us. It's because Jesus is better. It's not that we become perfect so that we can be chosen, but in his perfection, we become able to be chosen. Lord, may we rest our lives on your son, Jesus, who has made all things that are impossible, possible. May we not walk out of this place as weaklings, as defeated people who don't know how to face up to the evil that they see in this world, but instead as a strong army that's faithful and recognizes that we can only be strong if we believe in who you are. So help us to pray, especially the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.